0: Well, good morning, good morning. Thanks again for joining us this morning. Uh, so today we continue a series that we've been on since Easter. Uh, naturally, on Easter, we spoke on resurrection, and we talked about uh, Jesus having risen from the dead. Um, and though that is a climactic point in the story of the Bible and the story of God's work in the world, uh, what's interesting is it is not the end of the story. So we've been exploring these past few weeks uh, how the story continues, what happens beyond. And so we, uh, we read and, and talked about some of Jesus' resurrection appearances to his apostles, taking Peter by the shoulder and saying, no, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, I love you. And Jesus says, all right, get on board. Walk with me again, feed my sheep, participate in the things that I'm doing. Uh, last week, Sarah talked about the Holy Spirit coming at Pentecost uh, in Acts chapter 2 and uh, explored uh, this incredible gift that Jesus had promised that came at Pente- Pentecost and is available to you and I today. And so uh, the story continues, and the next chapter in that story, the next page as we turn uh, in that story is a very significant one. So this week and next week, we're going to talk about the church. Like, what was this plan that Jesus had for the world that, that has had an impact on the entire world and world history? What was Jesus' plan uh, for, for the continuing story? And that was the church. And so this week, we're going to talk about the church gathered, and next week, we're going to talk about the church scattered, or the church There goes the kiddos, bye, guys, have fun. And next week, we're going to talk about the church scattered. That is the church as it's sent out into the world, into our workplaces and our neighborhoods and these sorts of things. The story continues. So uh, some of us grew up in churches, right? Some of us grew up attending a church when we were young with our families, and it might have been the Lutheran church or the Catholic church or the Baptist church or the Church of Christ or the Church of God or all these different churches, but there was something in common on each of them. They were named something church, Right? Uh, we, we, grew up and we attended these buildings called the something church. In fact, sometimes our buildings were even named based on their location. So our church was called fourth street, whatever church, right? Um, so we, we begin to associate church with the building in which we meet, right? Uh, and spoiler alert, spoiler alert, um, that's not what the church is. By the way, if you do like a Google search, uh, define church, it will say a, a building or a meeting place. Uh, it, it, will, it will give you that definition. But Google's wrong all the time. Today, Google is wrong. Um, uh, because in biblical terms, the church is defined as something quite different than a building. The church is described as a worldwide community of believers. A people engaged in the work of, uh, of God here on earth. It is a worldwide community of believers. Friends, you and I are the church. And now, we're fortunate as I talk about this today, uh, I, I get to berate a lot of other churches but not ours because we don't even have church building, right? <laughs> So we can't even go there. No, I, I say that completely facetiously, um, uh, but it is unique. Here we are meeting in a school as a church, and it is kind of a beautiful representation uh, and reminder to us uh, that we are not a uh, we are not the building uh, that we own, uh, but we are a people who follow Jesus and invite others into that journey. Have you ever witnessed uh, just spontaneous and powerful community? Like, in a moment, there's a connection with someone that maybe you had never met before. It happens at Seahawks games. I know that. Uh, You know, you're down to the final minutes, and Russell Wilson scrambles and gets into the end zone, and you win the game, and all of a sudden, you are jumping up and down, hugging people that you've never met in your life, right? This is that spontaneous, just random Uh, community that's formed in a moment in an experience it happens also in in crisis when there's a major tornado or a flood or or a tsunami Uh, people respond like realize a connection to people that are in need and, and come alongside them and as we serve shoulder to shoulder with those people and with others that have come to volunteer there's just a sense of community there's something deep and powerful and beautiful in that moment this is that spontaneous and powerful community Unity, and so last week uh, Sarah spoke on Acts two, where the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost, and they speak in different languages, and there's these tongues of fire, and people are hearing in their own languages the things that uh, the apostles are speaking, and they say, "Hey, you messed up! You killed the Messiah! You killed the Savior! This is really bad. We're you know uh, we have a major problem here to these uh, Israelite people in Jerusalem, and." Uh, against all odds, the power of the Holy Spirit is what it it really is, Um, they repent. Like, oh my goodness, what do we do? And that day, 3,000 people uh, were baptized, and the numbers just increase and multiply from there as the story of the church continues. That day, 3,000 people said, I believe in a risen Savior. And what was What began was this spontaneous and powerful community. This was that moment, this was that catalyst uh, in the life of Israel that said, wow, there is new opportunity for community. So 3,000 people were baptized that day, and um, so they immediately sat down in committee meetings trying to figure out where to build their building, And uh and whether or not they'd have chairs or pews in their building. Uh no, that's not in there at all. That's not at all what happens in the story. In fact, the story continues in Acts chapter two, verse forty-two, and uh here's how the this uh spontaneous community of Jesus followers began, how it's described in Acts. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship and to breaking of bread and to prayer. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It wasn't committee meetings. It wasn't. Uh, it wasn't anything about chairs or pews. No, these people, having witnessed the risen Savior through the Holy Spirit, the power of the Spirit in their life, they came together, and something beautiful began to form. It, it said there in the beginning a, a really important word: they devoted themselves. Like, when you have one of those life-changing experiences, those revelations, realizations that says this changes everything, we find ourselves drawn in on a deep level, and so they devoted themselves to what was happening here. Like, this is a total paradigm shift, whatever seemed important before probably felt a little less important because of their passion and devotion to what was transpiring in their very lives, and they devoted themselves to this, to teach to fellowship, to breaking bread, and to prayer. And I think those are remarkable, and I want to touch on each of those. But today, as we as we look at this text, this description of the first century church— I want to shift our attention to the church today, and by the way, that word church is used in two different ways. There's church like our gathering, and then there's church like the global church, and you're smart people, so you'll be able to kind of just disseminate which one I'm talking about when I don't clarify that, um, but that is important uh, as as we talk about the church today. So I want to shift our attention to uh, the church today, and I want to reflect on this description of the first century church uh, in, in, in our terms, like, how has the church changed and developed? How is this, uh, kind of, um, a, a snapshot, a picture that can, uh, invite us as the church into a more full awareness of what Christ and God was doing in, uh, in establishing the church? So we look at this and they devoted themselves, uh, to teaching. Um, and, and, and so that's why as we come together, like on a Sunday morning, we're in our small groups uh, we we open up God's word and and we dig in right uh, because uh, in in teaching and learning and growing in our faith and knowing scripture uh, not only do we have opportunity to acknowledge God but it resets our priorities. It refocuses us uh, for a week to come. And so we dig into God's word saying, what is it that he is trying to refine in me, right? What, what is what is God trying to shape me into? They devoted themselves to fellowship, and I love this one. I was having a conversation uh, with absolutely well, I'll say one of my most theologically uh, profound friends, and uh, he was asking the question, so why do we get together on Sunday, right? Like, what's the purpose of that? And um, I fumbled around with some kind of lame answers. He told me the right answer, and then I said, I have another idea. Um, I wonder— Uh, if one of the most important things that happens on our Sunday morning gatherings is the conversations around the coffee table. Um, Like, I wonder if that is one of the most significant things, because I can know faith and spirituality and Jesus and salvation in isolation, but Jesus established the church, invited us together, together, for incredibly important reasons, one of them being fellowship. And by the way, fellowship, that's just a fancy churchy word for hanging out together, okay? Um, They devoted themselves to spending time together, and I think that's beautiful and rich, and as the church today, uh, ought to be a reminder uh, to us that we are invited into a community uh, that is about spiritual goals, but is about friendships and relationships and health in those avenues. So they devoted themselves to teaching, uh, they devoted themselves to fellowship, they devoted themselves to... Breaking of bread. And this, uh, this third one, it, um, uh, it could refer to just meals together, uh, and certainly it does later refer to that specifically, but this refers to communion, sometimes called Eucharist. And today we took communion, uh, during our worship time, uh, those of us that wanted to. And, uh, communion is this beautiful moment. In Life kind of pauses, and we are drawn back into the story of a crucifixion, of a resurrection, and a story that continues to this very day. I mean, this whole idea of the story continues. We remember that every week as we dip that bread into that grape juice, take communion, Eucharist, remembering that the story continues. The story didn't end on a cross. It didn't even end at resurrection because the story continues today. And in this way, we commemorate what Jesus has done. So they devoted themselves to breaking bread, to remembering Jesus in the way that he had initiated the night before he was arrested. You know, um, I strive for communion to be a more central Element of the way that we gather, um, because uh, again, uh, we we can say the teaching is really important, and quite often in our churches we um, uh, we prioritize that. Like that's the reason we go. We had to learn our thing, um, and we hire the best preacher. And you guys obviously didn't do that, and um, so we really prioritize that teaching element. But the second fellowship, I said, man, that's important. The third communion, I think it's beautiful. And I think it's important. Uh, I think it's an opportunity, a, a remarkable invitation from Jesus, who sat and broke bread and, and, and took of the wine at the table, and he said, this is your invitation to encounter me on a, on a regular basis. So uh, they broke bread together, and then forth they prayed together. Now, typically, when we talk about prayer, we um, we talk about uh, your prayer life, right? So, are you waking up and praying in the morning, or do you pray before bed, or do you pray while you're driving down the road, or whatever that is? Um, uh, so, we typically talk about your prayer time, but they devoted themselves to prayer and community, and. I uh, I think, I think that's really special. We, um, we pray here, but it probably often feels like, if we're being honest, uh, I'll be honest for myself, it feels like that thing that we're checking off the box. How often do we find ourselves when praying early in our service or at the end of our service? Do we find ourselves really drawn into this communal experience that we are speaking? To Heavenly Father, who loves us, and our requests have weight in His mind, and in this world, this is significant. They devoted themselves to prayer together. I remember some time ago we did um, we did this like four or five week series and, and of of home studies where the goal was communal dis, uh, discernment and prayer. And so we talked about our community. We talked about what's the history of the Tri-Cities. We talked about our demographics and diversity and challenging issues that the Tri-Cities is facing, and all of this um, uh, to be covered by prayer. Like, we got together, and and that was a really beautiful season in our journey, uh, one that we probably need to repeat, because uh, in that, we found clarity and developed community partners and um uh, probably shaped ourselves uh, in in many ways that I can't even know. However, uh, it's an ongoing process, and prayer is a powerful tool as we continue to ask, who are we as a church, and where are we going? What is God inviting us into? As the text continued in verse 43, it says, um, everyone was filled with awe at the things that God was doing uh, through the apostles. Uh, they were filled with awe. And I'm curious when the last time was that you were just in awe of God. It might happen really regularly for you. It might be something that sometimes we kind of overlook the things that God is doing. Here a couple weeks ago, I went to um, a fatherhood summit, uh, strong fathers in our community. And uh, it was the most remarkable cross-section of our community that that I've ever seen uh, it was incredible we had uh, civic representatives we had nonprofits we had law enforcement we had incarceration we had medical representatives and we had the faith community all in the room together talking about how can we encourage and empower fathers to stay in the lives of their children Right. And um, and that's one of many big issues. So I, I don't pick that as like the one uh, that's one of many issues that our community should be having these sorts of conversations with. But I found myself sitting in that room just in awe, like, God, how did you pull this off? Right? How did you bring all these people together with a commonality and interest in investing in the community that you are working to reconcile, to restore, um, to bring about new hope? Uh, I, I found myself sitting in awe of God. And I don't know, do you ever find yourself in awe when a loved one is healed? Like, God, thank you, right? Do you ever find yourself in awe in difficult times in life when a peace and love prevails, even in the struggle? God, thank you right? Uh, The first century church, they, they were just in awe of the powerful things they saw God doing, and sometimes I recognize that I'm just not even attentive enough to see those things that God is doing. Do you ever find yourself in awe when a child is born? Do you ever find yourself in awe when a neighbor or a coworker comes to you and says, hey, I don't really believe in Jesus, but I see something different in you, and would you pray for me uh, about this thing going on in life, right? Do you ever find yourself in awe in these moments in life when you see God is at work? And friends, I believe he is at work. So we attune our eyes to him that we can see those things more fully. So they stood in awe of God and the things he was doing. And standing in awe of God's mighty, restorative work is a mark of the church. We are those that are in awe of the God that we love and serve and whom loves us. So uh, it, later on in the text there, they it said that they— um, they were meeting the needs of, uh, of anyone that had a struggle or a difficulty in their life. People were selling things uh, to give uh, so that they could support the needs of others in the church. And uh, for this to take place, it requires two things. First of all, it requires proximity. That is that uh, a people know each other well enough to know the needs that exist, right? Sound a little vulnerable. We're we're kind of squirming in our seats. Like I think it's easier for a lot of us to give or to help than to be vulnerable enough to allow others to know our own needs and our own struggles. Uh, so this description that they they knew each other's needs, proximity was there, and second, uh, the church was and is a generous people, a people that cares for each other, not to the exclusion of those outside. It's not us versus them, but that's next week's conversation. For today, we recognize this beautiful thing in the church that it is a generous people that lives in relationship uh, and cares for the needs of others as much as their own needs. The church gathers, uh, though, not just exclusively on Sundays, and uh, I, I might have waited too long to get to this, because when we talked about teaching and fellowship and breaking bread and prayer, we talked about Sunday gatherings, and uh, I think we can become unhealthy when we become too Sunday-centric. Uh, I think it's important to recognize that the church happens and exists beyond the walls of our buildings. You see, Um, we, uh, We gather as a church, not just on Sundays, but in many different ways. In fact, some of my most profound spiritual experiences in life happened outside the walls of a church building. It was on mission trips uh, in which I got to experience faith uh, in the lives of people from other countries that speak other languages, in which I got to walk shoulder and shoulder to shoulder with other people coming to these great realizations. These were powerful spiritual experiences. It's our men's or our women's retreats and the conversations that we have there. Um, uh, these are the church gathered. Right When we come together, uh, fellowship, uh, all of these are examples of the church gathered. Um, table fellowship is some of the language that we'll use and you'll hear regularly from us. Um, table fellowship is kind of central to the way Jesus operated. If you look back through the Gospels, you'll find that uh, the majority of the major revelations uh, and, and pivotal moments in Jesus' ministry happened around a table. The guy liked to eat. I, I mean, he, he liked to sit at a table with other people. I think uh, there's something really powerful in that for us. And so table fellowship is something that we, um, uh, that we really want to lean into as a people. And sometimes that's spontaneous. Uh, I know last week a group of people, uh, we were invited. We didn't get to go, but they went out for tacos and wine slushies after church. And, and I don't know, uh, like, I can deal with the wine part, but slushy sounds weird in that equation. Um, at any rate, uh, that's that Spontaneous Table Fellowship. Hey, do you have plans for lunch? And I, I think it is a mark of the church. It was a mark of the first century church, uh, and I think it's remarkable to see it happening amongst us today. Uh, but Spontaneous alone wouldn't cut it. Uh, it's also intentional. It's knowing people and saying, hey, that's a family or a person that I think I could engage, that could use that support, or just someone I enjoy spending time with. And I'm going to deepen that relationship and that friendship. So table fellowship is both spontaneous and intentional. Uh, and friends, as we sit at a table and share a meal, that is the church gathered. That's the church come together. It's our small groups, our branches Early in our journey, we talked about uh, up, in, and out, uh, connection to God, to each other, and to the world around us. Think of a triangle. Um, but I've, I'm finding new language for that as as we grow and experience these things together. Um, our branches are designed to be a relational place, and our branches are an invitation um, into the lives of each other, into the life of God, and into the life of our community. Um, And and I think this is a beautiful invitation for us. Uh, We're invited to relationship with God, with each other, with our neighbors and our coworkers in the community that we're invited to care deeply for. Um, and, and, And at our branches, as we sit and have conversations as we go and we serve in many different places in our community, this again, this is the church gathered. Finally, in that text, it mentioned um, we are a people, uh, the church is a people who praise God. And uh, Romans chapter 12, it says, uh, in view of God's mercy, uh, I encourage you, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your tr- your true and proper act of worship. A people that praise God, and yes, it happens on a Sunday morning, but a people that recognize that the way we live life, the way that we love, the way that we engage is our act of worship to God. So what is the purpose of the church? What is the purpose of this community that began the spontaneous community Now, is is millions and billions of people throughout the world and 2,000 years later is still running and going strong? This, What's the purpose of this community? Well, next week we'll talk about the missional purpose of this community, this people, but today I want to say the purpose of this community is to draw us into the life and the work of Jesus Christ. The purpose of coming together, we are a purposeful people, and as we gather, we are invited, um, we are drawn into the life and the work of Jesus Christ that continues today. You know, when we launched the church three years ago, um, we we had this dream, of Belong, Believe, Become, and sometimes in our, our previous church experience, um, it kind of felt like it was backwards, like if if you... Act like us, if you believe like us, then you can belong in this place. And we were like, man, that's just not the way Jesus operated. Uh, It it sure is not. And so we said, we're going to create a place where belonging comes first, where people can live in relationship. And in the context of that relationship and life lived together, we'll invite people to believe in Jesus, at which time uh, the Holy Spirit does transformational, remarkable, beautiful works in our lives that that we can become the people we were created to be. And in Acts 2, we saw this really idealistic picture of, wow, look at how amazing the church is. And it's like, what if we could just get back to that? I don't know. Maybe that's not exactly the goal. And this idea, oh, it's so good. We can belong. But if I were to talk about the church gathered today without engaging the uh, very real struggle and difficulty of being the church today, uh, I think I'd do the subject a disservice. So from this little church, I say little, 3,000, that wasn't really little in one day. Um, uh, From this beginning of the spontaneous community, some 30, 40 years later, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. And uh, the church in Corinth uh, is now this uh, mix of, sometimes Sometimes we miss that um, the, the story we're reading in Acts 2 is a story of Jewish people coming to believe in Jesus and the church beginning as a sect of Judaism. Well, of course, it expanded outward. The story of Acts is the story of people like Paul and their missionary journeys out into the Gentile worlds, right? People that once were considered unclean are now coming to believe in Jesus, and the church is forming, and it's getting really messy, and it's getting really difficult, because we have different eating standards, and we have different rituals and backgrounds, and we're supposed to sit at a table together and share a meal, break bread together, and it it, it was getting tense. See, this is the reality and the struggle of the church. If we are invited to be a people uh, who uh, gather and spend time together and, and, and live life together Together. The reality is, is it gets difficult and it gets messy. First Corinthians eleven seventeen, and I'll just be here briefly. Uh, and Paul's writing to this them, and there was a few praises, like great, this is going really well. But he says, uh, in the following directives, I have no praise for you, uh, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear um, that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. No doubt, there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. Um, So then, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and the other gets drunk. Don't you have home? to eat and drink in? I love just this practical conversation. Um, or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What, what shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. Oh my goodness, Paul just got really real there, right? Uh, he just laid it on the line. He's like, you are gathering in uh, meetings in in homes and in places Calling yourself the church, and yet you have no care or concern for the people around you. You are engaging in what should be church activities, in these religious or spiritual practices, but in a way that is disgraceful to the church. See, and this is a reality and struggle. What they're actually dealing with here is um, that slave owners and slaves were, were meeting together in churches. That's complicated right that's that's got to be a little bit messy, and so the wealthy that could get there early would go ahead and eat and drink and have their party slaves uh, or the or the poor people that are working long hours they came in later and there was no food left, and everyone's already partying and moved on from whatever spiritual things they might have been doing to begin with and they were disgracing people in a vulnerable place and so uh, this is this is kind of the parallel I want to draw today. We've got this idyllic, I don't know if that's a real word. Um, we've got this beautiful picture of the Acts 2 church, right? Uh, it's like, oh my goodness, this is remarkable. They loved each other and they took care of each other and they loved Jesus and powerful things were happening. And then we've got this story of uh, the, the church in Corinth and it's like, this is messy. This is, this is not a good thing. And here we find ourselves 2,000 years later, somewhere in between there. Right, we're definitely not this beautiful ideal church, and in at this point, I'm talking about us, uh, lowercase c, the small church and the global church. Like we are not in this perfect place. We've got some of this mess going on amongst us, but the invitation to the church laid out there in Acts two, the invitation laid out by Jesus, and as we continue to read in the New Testament, uh, is one uh, where people. Are genuinely concerned for each other, who live life together uh, with a purpose in being drawn into the life and the ways of Jesus. The story of the church, as as Paul points out, as he uh, in in Corinthians, um, the uh, the church is a place of equality and inclusion. Uh, where we care deeply, uh, for the hurting or the marginalized. It is a place in in which we gather in many ways, shapes, and forms. But the church comes together with great purpose. And that is Jesus. So let me, let me conclude with this. Friends, this is the church, right? Hanging out in an elementary school cafeteria. This is a church though, because the church is a people of God. This is this is the church, a very small segment of the church that exists in the tri cities, that exists in our nation, that exists throughout the world, throughout the world. But friends, this is a church and I like that. So today as we uh, wrap up and as we have conversation, as we shake hands, maybe we smile a little broader and engage a little more deeply in conversation because, friends, this is the church, and we've been invited into something beautiful. Relationships with safe constructs, right? But relationships that invite us to know more of Jesus. This is the church. And we've gathered here today probably for two primary reasons. Some of us to worship a God that we've worshiped for a long, long time. And some of us maybe just exploring. Like, I don't really know about this faith thing or this Jesus thing, but I want to explore. I want to go a little bit deeper. Um, Whichever perspective you came with or a blend of the two, either way, Hey, this is the church, right? This is where we come to ask questions. This is where we come to engage in conversation, to know more of Jesus. And next week, having talked about the church gathered, uh, next week I'm incredibly excited to talk uh, from this place, from this foundation of what it looks like to be the church that is then sent, gathered, and then scattered into the world. And, and and it's a beautiful invitation. Hey, let's pray as we close out. Father, we thank you for this day, and I thank you for this time. I thank you, Father, for the, the story that continued uh, beyond crucifixion, beyond resurrection, uh, beyond the Holy Spirit, and even beyond the formation of the church. But Father, the story that continues today, thank you. For the church, thank you for the people that have come to believe in Jesus and uh, have been transformed because of it. And I ask Father that you will um, uh, remind us of the remarkable opportunity that you have given us to be a church that gathers, uh, to know people, to have commonality in Jesus. Uh, Father, help us be a people that, is, that are inclusive that are generous and loving, uh, both amongst our own and in our community. Father, I just pray that you will teach us to be the church. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I'll close with this benediction, these few words. Uh, may we learn to be the church in the many ways in which we gather. May we learn to be the church. And as we worship, as we engage in conversation, as we share meals together, as we break bread, may we, real, may we realize new and remarkable potential in this community as we engage in the life and the work of Jesus. Blessings and have a great week.